Brody and the Beard is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Ticket prices drop right before the game starts. And because GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, they're able to show you the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. Kelly, do you all know what's crazy? Right before the Blazers-Rockets game on Monday, I looked it up on GameTime. I'm talking about right when tip-off's about to begin. I found two seats together in section 123, row 24, for $94. No like, way. That's impressive, dude. Like, that's amazing. So, you know, this is what you're going to get from game time. You know, and, and on top of that, Kelly, while you're here in L.A., we got great theater out here, Kelly. I know you love the theater, and game time can help you. You can finally check out the Wizard of Oz at the Fantasia's Theaters through game time. Are you excited for that? Oh, my God. You know me so well. I do. I do, Kelly. And it's super easy. It's a two-tap checkout process. You're going to be in and out there super quick. The GameTime app is simple, quick, and easy to navigate. Download the GameTime app in Google Play or App Store and score last-minute deals on tickets up to 60% off. Speaking of looking fresh, is that velvet you have? <laughs> Biggie Velvet. Modakil. This guy's amazing. Rocket fans, it's time for an exciting episode of Brody and the Beard. I'm one of your co-hosts, Mo Doc Hill, and with me is Kelly Eco, our man on the ground. We got Sasha Shaw producing for us, and today we have a special, special guest. We have Craig Ackerman. He's the TV and pl radio play-by-play -play guy for the Rockets. Craig, how you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. Kelly, how you doing, man? You just touched down in L.A. Both of you are in L.A. right now. I can't. Yeah. I love LA. So <laughs> I'm feeling great. No, I, I don't have any travel uh, fiascos for today. So pretty good. Feeling better. Craig, you don't. You didn't have any travel issues, right? You travel with the team, right? Yeah, yeah. We left. Uh, we left last night. Um, just had to get some de-icing because of the little bit of snow that Denver had. But uh, nah, easy trip into LA last night. Yeah, that was my favorite thing. Every time we would travel on a road trip. We get on the plane and then it's another hour of de-icing and you're just like, gosh, this is, this is killing us. Um, well, you know, safety beats the alternative. So I'll take a hundred percent. I, I, I <laughs> was always, I was always like, yeah, you make sure you get every ounce of ice off this plane. <laughs> I need to get to my next destination, but we brought you on here. I think this is going to be a really fun episode. We wanted to talk about the old decade, obviously 2020 is literally right around the corner. So we want to look back here and look at, the Rockets of the past, and I know Kelly put together an all-decade team. I have an all-decade team. You've been around the Rockets, I think, since 2008, so you've been around for more than a decade around this team, so I'm hoping you got an all-decade team we could we can get out of you and, and, and then talk about some of the stuff that's happened the past decade about the Rockets. Sounds like a plan. I don't necessarily have – well, I, I jotted down some names, but I'll be honest with you. I think it's – for me personally, I think it's – Somewhat, it's not as concrete as some of the previous decades in terms of if you're going to slot five guys 
in on the Rockets all decade team of the of the twenty tens because quite honestly, I mean, outside of James Harden, there's been a lot of faces that have come and gone and so there hasn't been a whole lot of, you know, continuity outside of Harden over the last, you know, eight, nine years uh with this team. So there are certainly some names I think belong there, but I think unlike some previous all decade teams, maybe some of these guys didn't necessarily play as long uh, with the team as as you found in previous years. Right. And so, I mean, obviously, I think across the board between the three of us, James Harden's on our old decade team, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> By a landslide. <laughs> that was pretty easy. I mean, I, I mean, if he wasn't, somebody was getting ejected from the call. Like that was... I mean, right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you're clearly not paying attention. You're off, the, <laughs> you're off the call. And everybody knows his accolades. We don't need to go there. So let's start with, let's go to the point guard position. I have Chris Paul on my old decade team for the Rockets. I know he wasn't there for a long time, but he has been, I think, the best point guard that they've had. I think they've had a ton of success with him there. Uh, they were a Chris Paul hamstring away from getting to the finals. So I, I have him on there. I think, Kelly, you have him? Yeah, I have Chris Paul. And, and I, I have him for – so, you know, whenever you talk about all decade, obviously the stats are what everyone looks at first. But for me – it goes deeper than that. You have to look at impact. <clears throat> you have to look at team culture. You have to look at why is this player getting in over this player over a 10-year span? Even though they weren't there for 10 years, how did they impact the team, the, the community, you know, the league, and however long they were there? So that's why I have Chris. Yeah, okay. I think that rationale is, yeah, I think that rationale is a perfectly uh, good one. I mean, if you're going to just pick a point guard, it's really the only other guy who I think who would qualify to be on the all-decade team again because he was just there a little bit longer would be Pat Beverly. But the two seasons that Chris Paul was in a Rockets uniform, A, they had their best regular season in franchise history when they won 65 games. And as Kelly mentioned, they were an eyelash or, you know, the Rockets were that close to, to advancing to their, their first finals since 1995 with him. And again, his longevity uh, it was just two seasons, um, but uh, you had a Hall of Fame player on your team who gave you best regular season. And so, yes, I, I would agree. Chris Paul, despite only being with the team for two years, belongs on the uh, the All-Decade team. All right, let's go to the, the center position, because I think the other two positions will give us a little bit more more debate here. Who, who do you guys have as your All-Decade center for the Houston Rockets? There's only two guys, right? They could fit that correctly. And by the way, was, that seems to be the case on across the board on all the positions, yeah. right? It was always one know, or two guys. Why, <laughs> that's that's why I kind of gave that. I mean, again, it, it comes down to, um, you know, Dwight was with the team for three seasons. Dwight, uh, in two of those three seasons, was the Rockets' most consistent and best playoff performer, including a run. Uh, to the Western Conference Finals. Um, he was terrific. Obviously, the end of Dwight's tenure in Houston didn't go very well. And quite honestly, I'm, I've always been a huge fan of Dwight Howard. And I, I, he catches a lot of flack from a lot of people. And I think some of that is he's brought on himself, especially going back to when things unraveled uh, with the Orlando Magic. But I am a big fan of Dwight Howard. He's, he remains one of my favorite guys who's ever played uh, for the team. I have never actually seen a single player have as much of an impact in the community like Dwight Howard in terms of when he went out there, he really, I mean, he did it because he loved it. And I've never seen a player so good at what he did off the floor with all that said, though, I think it's Clint Capella sort of rounding into form and he was part of the 65 win team and he's still going and his longevity has been longer than, than Dwight. 
Uh, with all due respect to Dwight Howard, I'd probably give Clint Capella, uh, Clint Capella the edge of the center spot for Houston. Okay, well, Kelly, Kelly, oh. who, who did? <laughs> no, that's, that's 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 great rationale. I mean, just for me, I still think Clint still has. He's not the level that Dwight was whenever he did come to Houston. You know, Clint's still approaching that point for me. And while Dwight, you see, a lot of people like when you talk about comparing the two, oftentimes because of Dwight's off-court, you know, stuff with Harden or with the team or how his exit was so public, I think people just naturally tend to lean towards Clint because he's the, you know, he he's fits the team better. He's in the team mold. He does everything they want him to do, whereas Dwight wanted to be, you know, back to the basket, catch on the low block, and he wanted to, you know, kind of be like Shaq. <clears throat> so I think for Dwight, the reason why I have him ahead of Clint is just because he was a quote-unquote better player for, during the time he was there. Whereas Clint, you know, Clint can for sure he can reach that level of you know just the, how how Dwight was a household name in the league. Clint can get to that point, but I don't think he right now is where Dwight was whenever he was in a Rockets uniform. Okay, well I just think you know it, the thing with with Dwight is look, let's be honest, Dwight's a Hall of Famer, um, and the odds of Clint Capella getting into the Hall of Fame uh, are pretty slim at this particular point of of his career. Uh, but I think I, I think Clint's production has been just as good, uh, if not better. And I think you do have to kind of take into consideration his fit with this group and where this team is certainly gone uh, in its its style of play and how he has sort of um, accepted and thrived uh, in his role. Now I'm not going to sit here and argue with you and say that oh you're crazy for putting Dwight over Clint because look Dwight Howard's had a better overall career. Like when Dwight was in his prime, he was one of the three best players in the league when he was with the Orlando Magic. Obviously, he's not that uh, anymore. But I just think that in terms of fit, numbers being pretty much identical, if not I'll give a little bit of an edge to, to, to Clint um, and the general style of play and how he's sort of adapted to that. That's what's kind of why I, I, I give the edge there. But if you told me that, okay, well, we're going to put Dwight in over Clint Capella, it's not like I'm going to lose any sleep over that. I mean, Dwight did have a very, especially the first two years, he was here. He was he was outstanding. And as I said earlier, when the Rockets were in the playoffs, he was their best and most consistent player uh, on the team. So uh, I think you have, you have a very good argument in, in, in terms of Dwight uh, over Clint. But just for me, in terms of fit and style and accepting his role and thriving in it, that's kind of where I lean with, with Capella. Mo, yeah, you were you were around. You know, sorry to cut you off, but you were around DeAndre for a little bit. Can, can you kind of try to picture Dwight? Had he played that kind of DeAndre role, where you know it might have it might not be the highest usage, but <clears throat> he did you know set screens, ran the floor, you know block shots, and just played that that specific role for the Rockets. Do you do you think that he would be viewed greater by fans if he had done that from from everything you saw with DeAndre uh, as a Clipper? Well, you know to to go one step further, it's what he's doing now for the Lakers. You know, yeah. this is the the Dwight. This Dwight Howard would have been amazing with Harden. You know, when he came in, and if he wasn't always trying to post up and having it that way, if they had this type of Dwight Howard, it'd be a really different. I mean, hell, he might still be on the team. You know, with with how he would have fit with Harden. You know, I have Howard on my team because I think the other aspect of it is 
he's the first real huge free agent I can remember that kind of came over to Houston in, in that decade. In, in franchise it, history. The biggest yeah, ever in franchise history. And to, and to steal him away from the Lakers, too, like that to me, that carries a lot of weight in that sense. So it's not just so much what he did on the court, too, which was phenomenal in, in, in the short span. But, you know, that that kind of helped elevate the franchise a bit and, and kind of help continue to build what's going on. So, you know, I, I kind of give him that nod there. And, you know, Kelly, to go back to what, you know, he, he would have been better than DeAndre at, at those things. He was just a better player. You know, I, I think he had a better feel for blocking shots and and rebounding as well. So I think, you know, what we're seeing with the Lakers, he would have done really well with Harden had, had he had this uh, mindset when he was with the Rockets. So I don't think, you know, this is the thing. There's not going to be any right or wrong in, in these situations because it's all pretty close with a lot of these positions. And another position I had a problem putting together and picking my uh, for the old decade was my power forward. You know who did you guys go with? Well, 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 well before you, before you go there, I want to ask oh. uh, Craig a question. Um, yeah. Craig, do you have any, you know, crazy Dwight stories for us? I know, whenever he first signed in Houston, they had a whole downtown, you know, parade party, whatever you want to call it. But do you have any any great Dwight stories that you want to share? I just I just thought he was just a, no. I don't have any crazy crazy Dwight story. I, all I know is that he was always a very personable, affable person to kind of like and get along with. I mean, I, at least from, from my perspective, he always gave us the time of day. Uh, he always gave his time. Um, I always thought that, that uh, he, you know, in terms of his interaction with, with the media who worked with the team was fantastic. I enjoyed his personality. I, I really did. I know a lot of people thought that, you know, he tended to be a, a bit of a goofball and perhaps maybe that's what ultimately, you know, up until his resurgence now with the Lakers kind of helped derail um, what was an amazing career that he had going for him but no i always just thought he was a fun guy to be around i always thought that he had you know things in perspective in terms of you know what was ultimately important in life um i think that that he should have been more you know uh accepting of what would have made him ultimately excel with this team long term yeah i wish you know he would have he would have accepted that and, and moved forward with it but he but he didn't. Um, he moved on. He's bounced around a couple of times. He's dealt with some injuries. He's found new life uh, with the Lakers in a, in a role that, as you guys were mentioning, and if perhaps he had accepted that, he probably may still be around um, with the team. He's had a heck of a career. He will be a Hall of Famer, you know. And I think people forget how good Dwight in Orlando when during his younger days really was. I mean, this guy was dominant at both ends of the floor. Um, helped guide Orlando to the, to the to a finals appearance in 2009. But no, no really crazy stories other than I know he catches so much flack from so many people. Um, but he's always been one of the favorite guys that's been on this team. And um, and I enjoyed the time that uh, he was around. Let's 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 move over to the power forward slot, because like I said, that was one of the positions I did have a like I sat there going like it could be this guy it could be that guy. You know, who did you have, Craig, as, as your power forward or comes to mind when you think all decade power forward? Are we defining power forward in the sort of uh, stereotypical sense, or are we defining power forward as the Rockets define power forward? Um, as the Rockets define because, it. We're, we're a Rockets okay, podcast. Yeah. Let's do it that way. Well, let, let's be honest. In the, in the decades, of the, in this decade, um, they haven't really had a prototypical four man. I mean, the closest guys were 
Luis Scola, but that was very early on. And in fact, he may, I can't remember when he last played with the Rockets, but it might have been shortly after after 2010. You had kind of Carl Landry, but he faded out at that particular point. Um, and you have you've had guys like PJ Tucker and Trevor Ariza play those spots. I mean, I, I think the, the, if we've already picked three spots, three positions. I think three and four with this particular team over the last 10 years is kind of interchangeable. So I think if you're going to add one guy in a three-four role, and they can play them both. And I think Trevor Ariza belongs um, on that list. Again, part of the a lot of success um, with the Rockets. He was terrific for this team, you know, uh, at both ends of the floor. Unlike a lot of these guys, he actually had some advanced tenure uh, with the organization and uh, was much better the second time around than he was the, the first time around. So I think if you're going to put somebody uh, at a three slash four, I think Trevor Ariza certainly has to be there. And then we could ultimately probably debate about the other spot between, say, a guy like P.J. Tucker and Eric Gordon. And then I think things can get a little bit tricky if you definitely want to include Trevor Reza. But I think Reza certainly belongs on that list. Well, if we're doing it from the, like, just front court, well, I, I, I had a Reza in as my first forward on the list just because <clears throat> he was he was the glue guy for, even when he, when he yeah. first got to the Rockets his first time, you know, even though he was in a different role, he was still looked at as the glue guy. He he was he was supposed to score, you know, assist, rebound, defend, whatever. And when he came back in his second stint, after he had gone seasoned, understood like the three and D capabilities, he was the he was the guy that held this team together. And I think for that reason, he was you need a guy like him on your team, whether it's hypothetical, whether it's on the court, he just makes everything easier. And we've seen the Rockets as he's left, they've been kind of been looking for that that three guy to kind of fill that role. Daniel House is kind of doing a little bit of that stuff, but Ariza was a class above in terms of just overall ability and overall just, I don't know. I'm looking for the right term to put it, but he's, he, for me. Well, he he did he did what, look, Chandler Parsons was also really good in his first three seasons for the Rockets. But when he left, Trevor Ariza came back, and Trevor Ariza filled, um, uh, 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 but Trevor, he filled a role that was, I think, fit. You mentioned as a glue guy that fit better uh, with the team. But I think, you know, um, a lot of people thought that when Chandler ended up signing with Dallas and didn't coming back, didn't come back with the Rockets, and Chandler's career has spiraled down ever since that point. But Chandler Parsons was really good with this team too in his first three years of his career. A guy who literally kind of came came out of nowhere. But I think I think the big point you made, Kelly, about him being Trevor being a glue guy, and he again he fit kind of a perfect. Uh, role with this team and he was part of the Rockets group post Chandler Parsons that really sort of where the team sort of elevate elevated its level of play uh to the next level yeah and I think uh to your earlier point Craig about the uh 65 win team I think that also you know played a lot into my decision about putting Ariza because he was part of that group he did a lot I know people like to, to think about Ariza and the game seven mishap but when you're talking about overall impact how he changed the team and how he impacted on both ends of the floor i don't think there's any other forward that they've had that you could say to put above trevor in that in that sense i agree i agree yeah for me i went with uh tucker as my four uh i actually also went with ariza as my three who just edged out chandler parsons but i i think what tuck has allowed them really go small at times and, and play the five. Even I felt like, you know, his contributions, especially on the defensive end was, has been so huge over the years that I felt like I couldn't, 
you know, overlook it. I felt like that deserved the first team, uh, first spot on the uh, old decade team uh, or a spot on the old decade team. Sorry, I'm struggling with my words. And I think that was that's kind of the way I looked at it. And it's sort of like you said, Craig, like it's three, four spot, like it's both of those guys, him and Trevor Ariza, both were huge components in that 65 win team. And, you know, for me, that team was the best Rockets team of the decade. Like I, you, you have to kind of give them that nod. And I, I don't know how we could, could not include either of those guys. And Parsons just barely got edged out. Uh, Cause I thought he was, I mean, I remember I was still in the league. Parsons was the, terrific. His first three years, he was really good. Yeah. And I remember just seeing it going like, wow, I, I was with the, the clips after the lockout and we, they used to talk about how they took a young man by Trey, by the name of Trey Tompkins just over Parsons in the second round of that draft. And, you know, we were always kind of just quietly kicking ourselves, just going like, man, we, we, we really missed out. Like this, this Parsons gets pretty damn good. Of course, down the road, things have kind of gone a little bit rough for him, but that, that run with the Rockets was amazing. But, you know, I just got to look at it with Ariza and Tucker and that, that kind of combo defensively. I was just, I, I had to put both of those guys on my first team. So that means that somebody's going to get snubbed, right? Because we're down to one spot and we've got two names that would fit right into that one spot potentially would be Tucker and Gordon. And you have to sit and think if you're, uh, you know, how can you leave either one of those guys out? Because you made extremely valid points about PJ Tucker in terms of the, the general culture and um, feel and identity of this team over the last handful of years. PJ Tucker is like at the top of the list, but Eric Gordon won a six man of the year, finished runner up the second time. Uh, his ability to space the floor and knock down a ton of threes and and for the first time in his 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 career for the most part up until his his recent surgery he's been basically healthy um for the rockets and has been available and when guys have gone down and been hurt i.e chris paul he was a guy that kind of stepped in and, and filled a role so this next one for me i'll be honest i i'm not exactly sure who i technically <laughs> should put in that fifth spot i mean I, if, if there could be an honorable mention for six man of the year then that, that makes it pretty easy. Tucker, Tucker's in the five, and Eric Gordon is your sixth man as he's basically been uh, in a Rockets uniform. That's, that's a tough one for me because someone, one of those two guys, since we filled out four of the five spots, is going to get snubbed. And quite honestly, I think both deserve to be there. And, and quite frankly, at this point, I just keep going back on who I think actually should be that fifth guy. What do you guys think? I mean, I've I've gone with my five. So I have Ariza and Tucker, right. and, and, and I snubbed uh, Eric, and, and it, it – it wasn't easy, but it just like I, I just kind of looked at it as for he, he to me, he was second team. But Kelly, what's what's your take on it? <laughs> well, I, I was so torn with this decision because, <clears throat> you know, there's so many. Well, not so many, but there is a couple good options to choose from. I actually posted to Twitter and I caught a lot of flack for this, for the, the choices I put up. I did it in the sense of. You know, not traditional four, but I did like front court. So my last front court position, I actually had Louis Scola. And he was there. Oh. Yeah. So he, he doesn't actually qualify. Well, he was there from 2007 to 2012. And I know this, it might be a hot take, but I just think that Scola, he was, you know, a, a cultural icon for Rockets basketball for the time he was there. Just, I always remember the calls on TV, the ice cream man. You know, Bill Worrell just talking about his post game and his scoops up and unders, the the hook shots, and he kind of had a, a, an old man silky game. But for me, Scola was so important to those early 
rocket teams that I had to put them ahead of Tucker, you know, ahead of Gordon, ahead of Parsons. So I might be in the I'm, I might be in the minority, but that's just. Is it, it's yeah, it's more of a it's more of a field than a staff. <laughs> <laughs> I don't disagree with the, the rationale there, and I think that's why he was part of the all, the all decade all decade team of the two thousands. I just think at the end there, um, and quite honestly, quite honestly, since he was already previously honored and wasn't sort of a transcendent player like Akeem, where he crossed over decades and absolutely belonged on on multiple all decade teams. That's why I, mean, I had I put his name down on my list, but then ultimately went, okay, do I go PJ Tucker? I go Eric Horn again. I, 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 I am, I'm really torn on that, but if, if somebody it forced me to, to, to make a decision, I, I might lean, I might lean Eric Gordon just uh, because of the fact that, you know, he's a guy that played multiple roles, starter off the bench. I mean, again, you can say the same thing for PJ Tucker. I just think had a little bit of a, a bigger uh, impact offensively on, on what has become, you know, a team that has sort of taken advanced metrics and analytics to the next level. And I think, you know, um, his play is part of that. But if you said P.J. Tucker over Eric Gordon, again, I'm not going to argue with him. Yeah, this is this is kind of what makes an all-decade team tough, right? Like, we got to weigh everything that's happened over the past 10 years. And, you know, it's it, there's just so many names as you start looking back. Like, when I was going back, I was like, oh, man, like, I remember school. I remember having to do scouting reports against him and Kelly talking about like his little scoop shot and just, he was just so damn crafty. It would drive us nuts and just warning our guys like, watch out. He's going to do this. He's going to do that. Then you go play the game and he does this and he does that. And our guys act like they just, they were surprised. And it's like, we told you, but that's kind of, he always went right. He always went to his right, never went to his left. Yet everybody played him to his left over and over and over Over again. Honestly, it's almost like he just paid somebody to convince them that he was left-handed or something. <laughs> like it's almost like he was like he's like, listen, just tell everybody I'm left-handed. Like this is gonna work out for me, and <laughs> constantly going that way. It was it was amazing, you know, just how he was always able to get to his stuff. So you know, it's 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 hard, and like I said, there is no right or wrong in that stuff. Ever wonder how to get the hottest new sneakers, the ones that barely hit the shelves? The answer is StockX, a revolutionary new marketplace for buying and selling 100% authentic sneakers, streetwear, watches, and handbags. Yo, Kelly, what was the last time you used it? Yeah, I was in New York, and I was at Kith looking for these Puma RSXs, and I couldn't find them in the store. I was there for like an hour. Dude, seriously, and, an hour? Yes. And my homeboy told me, he said, there's this app I've been using. It's called StockX. I said, let me see that. He showed it to me, and I never looked back. Millions of Americans are using StockX right now to find everything after it sells out. From the latest Yeezys to every retro Jordan to the hottest new streetwear from brands like Supreme, Bape, Palace, and Kith. StockX allows users to buy and sell pre-owned, excellent condition luxury handbags and watches from brands like Louis Vuitton, Chanel, Gucci, you know I like that Gucci, Rolex, Omega, Tudor, and more. One in on all the hype? Check out StockX.com slash B-Ball for a surprise offer that won't be around too long. Once again, that's StockX.com backslash B-Ball. Check it out today and get your swag up. I do want to run down kind of some – I want to, since we got you on, Craig, I want to go through some of the – just some of the best stuff that's happened over the past 10 years in, in Rockets basketball. You know, you're you're probably the best guy to go to for it. 
what are some of like your favorite memories just in general from from the past 10 years with the Rockets? And, you know, even if it dips a little bit into your earlier, you know, your 2008 or 2009 years, nobody will tell. Well, the first year I took over doing play-by-play for Gene and Jim was the 08-09 season. So even though that's not in this particular decade, that's that'll always stand out to me. And that's in that particular team, you know, finally won a playoff series. It was the first playoff series victory when they beat the Blazers in, in 12 years and and um, had a lot of momentum. And of course, Yao ended up getting hurt in that series against the Lakers, and they pushed him to seven. And I, I know that other people like Jeff Van Gundy have mentioned that you know if if Yao had not gotten hurt. Um, you know, again, this is one of those what ifs like the Chris Paul injury. And it, it always sounds like sour grapes when you're on the losing end of this. And then you start mentioning this, but I think as you kind of look back with nostalgia, you kind of think about this a little bit more, but you know, a lot of people say that if you didn't get hurt in that playoff series, the Rockets probably end up, you know, beating the Lakers. And I think they end up going to the NBA finals and Yao going back to our Dwight conversation from earlier, had Dwight Howard's number. Um, and I think the Rockets would have. Won a championship in 2009. Obviously, they didn't. It is what it is, and and time has has marched on. But I think those teams under under Rick Adelman. Um, I know people got frustrated with them picking 14 three straight years, but that was a that was a pesky group of of players that you know were kind of undervalued uh, around the league and underappreciated. And those are some of the best non-playoff teams in in NBA history. And I think those groups deserve a ton of credit. Um, again, ultimately they didn't make the playoffs, but I think they did kind of overachieve based on what their collective talent level, uh, was during those days. Um, the signature moment of the decade was the acquisition of James Harden from Oklahoma city. Uh, and again, it, some people might doubt this because it's in retrospect, but the day that they made that trade right before the start of the regular season, when the Rockets played the Pistons, I almost, I fell out of my chair thinking the Rockets finally had their guy, um, because Daryl had been you know, had been great in terms of buying all the, the, uh, the accessory groceries that you need for a nice meal. But yet to that point, despite all of this work trying to secure uh, a number one guy, uh, he fell short, but he finally landed one there. And I really felt that the Rockets fortunes would, would turn around ever since. And, you know, I think James is, has proven every, everybody right. You know, it's a team and organization that, again, that hasn't ultimately gotten over the hump and won the championship, but they've won as many games as any team in the league um, over the last 10 years. And I think the organization uh, deserves credit for that. They've just kind of run into, especially the last, for the most part, over the last five years. And what, in my opinion, was the greatest collection of talent in the history of the league and, and what the Golden State Warriors had, had trotted out. Uh, they had their chance two years ago. Chris Paul got hurt. They still probably should have won that series. They were up by double figures in both game six and seven. Then the 0 for 27 happened. That that was fluky. It'll never happen again. Golden State won. They went on to win another championship. But I just think that the organization should be should lauded and commended for basically over the last 10 years, always rolling out a product that strives to win as many games as possible in an era where you've seen some teams not take that particular route. And I understand the intelligence that tanking provides an NBA franchise. And I'll be honest with you, I supported the strategy from Sam Hinkie when he was with Philadelphia. But I think at the same time, I think you do have to give credit to a Rockets organization, again, that, that try to put out the best product that they possibly could to try to win as many games as they possibly can, uh, could, and to, to try to, to win a championship that, that ultimately fell short. It's been disappointing and frustrating from, from that perspective, but they've been one of, if not the most winning organizations over the last 10 years. And, um, and I, and I've, very, I've been very, very blessed and happy to be a part of that. Awesome. Rundown right there. I almost don't even know what to say. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that, was, that was a Grammy speech. 
Kelly, what are some of your thoughts of the of the the past ten years of the Rockets? Listen, I, I'm having you go next just because I don't want to follow up Craig. So uh, good luck, bud. Um, yeah, thanks a lot. But I, I know this one might hit close to home to you, Mo. One of the uh, the three one comeback, you know, the game six, oh, yeah. the game six, Josh Smith. I remember exactly where I was when when that happened. Just the way that. The five guys on the floor, because I don't think James was on the floor for 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 that period. No, Kevin Kevin McHale benched James Harden for the entire fourth quarter, and, and, and Corey he, Brewer and Josh Smith. <laughs> and he rode with those guys, Jason Terry, Josh Smith, Corey Brewer, against the Clippers team, where many thought, felt that that would be the year that they would actually make some noise, you know, in the Western Conference. And the Rockets just ended all that. I remember the game seven, where Trevor Reza has like. 22 points, something like that. And that game six was a moment that will forever go down the Rockets' history. You know, obviously you have the the Tracy McGrady 13 and 35, but that was like last decade. The 13 and 35 seconds. Another one I think that it's not as, you know, important, but it's still a moment was James Harden's uh, game winner against the Warriors in Oakland. The, uh, the, the, three, the three-point shot in overtime just to win the game. If everything that was surrounding the team at that moment, you know, going against the big bad warriors and and being shorthanded without Chris Paul and having to find some way to win and they pulled it off. I think that was also a really big important for them of the decade. But there there, there there's some others. Uh if you just at a glance, the obviously the game seven against the Lakers with run our test and and Batty and the and the other guys over there. But I think to me the most important was that uh, that game six comeback. Well, what's what's funny about that though, Kelly? So that was the year after I was out of the league. Like that was the first year I wasn't in the league anymore, and I was just with the Clippers. And you can call it petty or whatever. I was just like, they cannot win the championship the year after I'm gone. Like I I, I mentally cannot <laughs> handle that. Like I was I would I would have not been okay with that. And I remember it really clearly because I was playing a a rec league basketball game that night and just looking at the score going like, wow, the Clippers are going to move to the conference finals. Like they're really, they're really putting it on the the Rockets and just sort of driving home. And I'm kind of a little bit in self pity, just like, you know, like, Oh man, like this is good for the Cliffs, but this really sucks for like, I'm, I'm kind of pissed off. Um, and then getting a text message from one of my buddies who's like, are you watching this game? I'm like, no, I'm, I'm just parking the car right now. And he's like, can you believe the Clippers are blowing this? And I'm like, wait, what are you talking about? And then I see the score and I just immediately start driving a little bit faster in the parking lot, which is not safe. Don't let anybody do that. Park the car, sprint to my apartment and turn on the game. And I'm just like, oh, God, there's a chance. There's an actual chance. Um, and then, of course, you know, the the Rockets go on. But one thing I did enjoy, one thing I do enjoy about the Rockets in this decade. And, you know, although I may not agree with some of the stuff they do and things like that. You got to give them credit for not waiting out the Warriors like some teams were kind of rumored to do, right? Like looking at the Warriors and going like, man, we can't compete with them. Let's just start working about being ready once they fall. You know, you got to give, you know, Daryl Morey credit and and the Rockets organization ownership credit to just being like, no, we're going to challenge these guys and we're going to push these guys. And they did it, you know, multiple times. And, you know, you got to kind of just tip your hat to them doing that building on the fly without ever having to go through like a real true rebuild and taking the way, the way Craig said it, you know, like 
that's just great stuff. Like we don't, we don't see a lot in sports and you got to tip your hat to, to the organization, you know, from top down, it starts from ownership all the way down to, to really kind of committing to like, no, we're going to try to put the best product out there and keep competing constantly. And, and, you know, you got, you got to give them a, a lot of credit that way. I think, and I think as an organization, they changed the game. They, they've changed the way that the NBA, I think this group will go down as an organization and players that have changed how basketball is looked at and played. I know that, again, they still have a lot of critics out there about their style of play and how they ultimately lean on math to, to come up with game plans and with all the threes and free throws, layups and so on and so forth. But they have changed um, the NBA, um, Daryl Morey's philosophy, which sort of kind of originally started when Rick Adelman was the coach and then uh, Kevin McHale. And then ultimately there was full synergy between he and Mike D'Antoni and their best player in James Harden on how they felt. They felt strongly about this is how the game should be played and what would ultimately give them the, the most chance to, to win. And I think when we look back at this particular decade, 10 years from now, um, I think that the, the Rockets organization will be looked at one that changed the sport and rightfully so. And then one quick other last point on that game six against the Clippers. Um, you guys are much younger than me, but I was around in the mid 1990s when I started as an intern with the Rockets. And that game six was like the only moment since the mid 1990s that felt like clutch city all, all over again. So again, for, for longtime Rockets fans, that that'll be something they'll never forget. Well, on, on the flip side, you know, what are some of the not so good moments, if, if you will, you know, Damian Lillard, Game Seven against the Warriors. Oh yeah, uh, I, think, I feel like that just lives there. I feel like that just sort of lives on. <laughs> and did you, did you have? Like, I think that's pretty did you have, easy. I don't think they'll ever leave Houston. Did you, did, did, did game, you have Game Game Six against San Antonio at home in the playoffs when you know James was like two for fourteen in the first half or, or whatever it was, and that was sort of an inexplicable performance when Kawhi Leonard wasn't even playing um, after the Rockets started off that series so good and they dominated San Antonio in San Antonio in game one. But in terms of the not so good moments to me, I mean, we got to go back to the start of the decade, but, but Yao ultimately never fulfilling what he's in the hall of fame, but ultimately, and he's in the hall of fame primarily because of the impact he's had on, on the sport when he was healthy, he was a great player, but ultimately very sad, not being able to, to fill what would have been a hall of fame, playing career uh, for the guy. Those are the things in terms of the not so pleasant moments stick out to me. Just my, my real one question. Did you guys have flat, did like rocket fans or, or yourself have flashbacks when Dame sent Paul George home on the, and, and, and the thunder on the three last year, did, did you just kind of have, was it almost like no, post-traumatic I'm stress happy, a little I'm bit? Happy it happened to somebody else. I'm happy it happened to somebody else. <laughs> that was the most, that was the most surreal thing I've experienced in person since, since doing this job, that entire series was extremely frustrating. I mean, Portland came into Houston and won the first two games. The Marcus Aldridge had like nearly 50 points in each of those games. The guy was hitting turnaround, fall away threes into the first row. And, and then the Rockets pushed it and were 0.9 away from pushing that series back to Houston for a game seven, where again, I think they probably would have won that game and won that series, but Lillard hit one of multiple iconic shots uh, in his career and just the, the, the atmosphere in that building, the elation. And then on the other side, the absolute devastation for the Rockets players and anybody associated with, with the team. I mean, people were absolutely partying in the concourses of, of the Moda center or the Rose garden or whatever they called it uh, back then 45 minutes to an hour 
um, after that shot uh, went in. I'll, I'll never forget it. You know, credit to Damian Lillard, who's again, he's done that multiple times. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it was nice to see him finally do that to somebody else. Yeah. It's, it's never, nothing's more miserable though than flying home after you've been eliminated in the playoffs. Unfortunately, oh. I've had that experience twice, but that is the quietest flight. That is <laughs> just, at least if you're home and you get eliminated, you all get in your own car. You can, you can go right. drive home and, and deal with it however you want. But now I got to sit here and you, you just can't help but wallow in it for you know the next you know however long you know, that just, night, like we, five or six hours we didn't fly home to the next day everybody oh. wanted to fly that, that <laughs> night but normally we don't fly home at late after you know west coast back uh back home but everybody wanted to leave and so we had to go back to our hotel rooms stew on it all night and then fly home oh. the next day it was miserable oh, absolutely That's miserable. Worst. that that, that <laughs> have been worse but let's leave it was let's leave let's leave on a positive note uh, Craig, uh, I, I want to ask you this one. What has been the most exciting game you've done play by play for, you know, like you've, you've, you've been, or you've done it for so long at this point, you've seen a number of amazing games. I mean, just Harden's run last year and everything, you know, over the years, what, what game kind of just stands out for you of like, man, that was exhilarating. Like I loved every second of it. One's going to be pretty obvious, and we've already discussed it, which was game six against the Clippers. The other one, people might laugh a little bit at it, but quite honestly, it was January of 2009, um, the Von Wafer game in Boston against the Celtics. You know, <laughs> Boston was coming off a, a, a championship. They had won 14 or 15 in a row. That was when um, T-Mac wasn't playing on, on – it was sort of the beginning of the end of the T-Mac era. Uh, that season, especially in January of 2009, it was very frustrating. Um, he, he wasn't playing on a, on a, uh, in back-to-backs. Ron Artest, for whatever reason, sat out, decided to sit out that game as well. So the Rockets were, were rolling out a lineup of Aaron Brooks and Yao Ming and Carl Landry and Chuck Hayes and Aaron Brooks and Von Wafer. And they came back and beat the big, bad bully Celtics in Boston to end their long winning streak and Vaughn had that big shot in the corner and I just remember Chuck Hayes literally shutting down Kevin Garnett that kept throwing Garnett the ball over and over and over again he had six inches on Chuck and he couldn't back him down he couldn't move him he couldn't do anything um, I think Brent Barry was part of the closing group that was that was on the floor for that Rockets team uh, and, and again it was just a regular season game in the middle of the season but the atmosphere in that building, how good the Celtics were at the time, how improbable a victory that was, and and me being the president and founder of, of the of the Von Wafer fan club, uh, they have that particular moment. And quite honestly, he carried that team uh, that entire month. Um, that's those are one of the two favorite games of, that I've ever done. I seriously, I remember that game like it was yesterday. I, I <laughs> those people there were breathing down your necks. Like at that game, like all the big famous Boston media members were all there. Vaughn had a play in the first half where he dunked, but he got hung on the rim and people were laughing at the guy. And then the Rockets made that big comeback uh, in the fourth quarter and ended uh, the Celtics um, long winning streak. I'll, I'll never forget it. Craig, uh, how, how is it for you, you know, since, since 2008 till now, knowing that the Rockets kind of changed the NBA game a bit, how was it for you from, from like a firsthand perspective, seeing like you calling games and just seeing how the team dynamics affecting 
you know, the NBA in general, the three points increasing, the the pace and, and the need for space in the floor. How, how has that been for you firsthand? All right. Much like most of my answers, this will probably be pretty long-winded. But I'll preface this by saying I don't think that the NBA in general does a very good job of explaining uh, why the sport has changed in the manner that it has. And I think most, not all, but most people who criticize particularly the Rockets, but for the most part, the trends of the league, you know, being three-point heavy and so forth, I think most of the people who criticize either have not been uh, informed properly or have not educated themselves properly on to, as to why uh, the sport has changed so drastically uh, over the, the last 10 years. And I'll be honest with you, when, I, when it first started happening, and I remember when, when, when Daryl was hired, and, and I'm probably butchering the quote from former owner Les Alexander, he mentioned that Daryl would, would change the game. And everybody at the time just kind of dismissed it and never really thought what he meant by that other than he was just, you know, talking big about the, his new hire. But it did, it did change the sport. And, and originally, I didn't, I didn't really understand why. There was a game I remember in particular. Uh, we were in Minnesota, and the Rockets were putrid shooting the ball from three, and I was doing radio, and, and I mentioned that they should probably just stop shooting them because they, you know, they weren't going in. I got a text message from Daryl Moore saying, no, that's not the case. We ultimately had a conversation about it. And as I, as I got to understand the, 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 the rationale and the math behind it, I became much more appreciative and understanding as to why this is the best way to play. And I think we can always have an argument about the teams necessarily need to take it to the extremes that the Rockets do, especially in the playoffs where I think from a personal level, I do think some diversification in your offense is needed, especially in a long series to kind of keep the team you're playing over and over and over again, a little bit honest, but it has become to a, it's come to a point in, in the NBA now where if you don't primarily take smart shots, which are threes, corner threes, free throws, shots at the rim, and you choose to not defend that way either, you're going to get left behind. And, and so to me, I just think that, that, that kind of be having a front row seat for this and then initially not understanding it, quite honestly, being a critic of it. And then once I was educated on the subject matter, uh, sort of getting a, a greater appreciation for it has been, I think, an amazing experience for me personally. And I, again, I think that the league as a whole does a, a pretty poor job, especially its ex-players, of explaining this to the general fan base, because I still think there are a lot of people who just don't understand why teams do what they do. Again, <laughs> speechless, Mike. Yeah, you should you should you should think about talking for a living. That's my Craig. soapbox. I, I, I've given that, I've given my, I've given that. As you can tell, I've given that stump speech before, so uh, that's my soapbox. Banging out the hits on Brody and the beard. <laughs> I love it. Craig, <laughs> bring, bring out. Craig, I want to ask you one more thing. Um, yep. So. We're going into 2020. It's going to be a new decade, new new seasons, new expectations. The Rockets, as constructed right now, are a championship contender. What happens in the next 10 years, you know, if something happens and they can't figure out how to win a championship or they can't get over the hump or they can't figure out, you know, is there going to be a point where they'll consider changing an approach or do you think this is the way to go from now to whenever? I mean, in terms of, uh, style of play, uh, yeah, I, I do believe in this. I do believe this uh, very heavily. 
and another sort of analogy I give to it in every business everywhere in this country and around the world, businesses are studying how, how can, how can they make their business um, run more efficiently, smoothly and better. And if the data tells you over and over again, that this is the way to do it, then you'd be an idiot not to follow the data. So I don't think that the Rockets general style of play um, will change at least as long as Daryl Morey is the team's general manager. Um, but I think you still have, I mean, I, st- I think we still have, I think James Harden's game is going to age very well. He's 30. I think you still have another five or six years where he's going to be playing at an incredibly high level. And so I think, you know, as we move into the 2020s, at least the first half of it, half of it, the goal is to try to get him and the team over the hump and win their first title since, since 1995. Now, you know, there's a lot of moving parts to that. Um, salary cap plays a large role at the Rockets are capped out. So most of their improvement in terms of taking that next step is going to have to be done internally and just getting better at, uh, at what they do. But I think as long as you have James Harden as your best player, um, who's one of the best players in the world, the Rockets are going to remain competitive and they will try to put a competitive team around him as much as they can over the next five or six years while he's still basically either in his prime or at the back end of his prime. And then we'll kind of, we'll have to kind of wait and see how things go from there. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, this is an organization that over the last 20, 25 years outside of San Antonio has won more games than any other organization. They have never completely torn it down to its studs and started over again. Um, so I don't know what that will look like if, and when it gets uh, to that point, but I don't think that Rockets fans really have to, to worry about a complete rebuild for, for another handful of uh, years at, at minimum. Perfect. Kelly, you got any other questions or, can, or should we let our man go? No, I'm I, mean, I want to talk to, I want to <laughs> keep talking to Craig. I just don't know how much longer he wants to sit Jesus. in the park. <laughs> I do got to get back uh, to the hotel at some point. <laughs> well, this just means we're going to have to have you on again. There's, I mean, there's a lot of stuff we can talk about and get into with you. We had a great time, man. Thank you so much for coming on. Anytime. I appreciate it. Look forward to it. Thank you guys. Everybody. Thank you, Craig, Kelly, Sasha, me, that's it for the Brody and the Beard. Uh, Everybody have a happy and safe Thanksgiving. We're going to be coming back after Thanksgiving unless something pops off and, you know, we have to do an emergency pod. But hopefully we can all have a nice, calm Thanksgiving and enjoy our families. Everybody take care of yourselves and we out.